Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. The Bulldogs and Spitfires give us the two best words in hockey. Game 7. Will lightning strike thrice in the Stanley Cup final? There's been a spike in new startups during the pandemic. A suspended Google engineer claims the company's AI system is sentient. And Jack and Coke in a can is finally a thing. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Two best words in hockey, game seven. And we have one at First Ontario Centre as the Hamilton Bulldogs take on the Windsor Spitfires in game seven of the OHL Championship. The winner books their ticket to the Memorial Cup next week. Joining me now, the owner of the Hamilton Bulldogs, Michael Anlauer. Michael, how are you? Hey, great record morning. As I said, two best words in hockey, game seven. This is what it's all about. Yes, absolutely. And I, I've had, uh, you know, I mean, what, what would you rather have? Uh, you know, winning away from home or winning at home uh, like we did in 2007 in the Calder Cup or 2018 with the OHL Championship? Uh, you couldn't have scripted anything better. And it's going to be uh, it's going to be a pretty special evening. I'm looking forward to it. I know our players are looking forward to it. We're going to need that seventh man. And, and if it's anything like what we saw experience on Sunday, uh, at the First Ontario Centre, it's going to be, uh, I think it'll be even more electric. But And, uh, and it was that special that carried us to a win on Sunday. So looking forward to Game 7. What comes to mind when you think about the first six games? Uh, you know, adversity. Uh, certainly, we're playing. We're playing the, be- the. You know, these are the two best teams in the Ontario Hockey League. We never had a chance to play them during the regular season. They are a very good hockey team. Uh, but adversity has been the word. You know, we've had to deal with adversity all year round. Whether it be our fans uh, who you know weren't able to go to uh, eight of our games this year because of the uh, of COVID. You know that that adversity. Uh, having to deal with that. Uh, we've had to deal with uh, a lot of injuries this year uh, for some reason, whether it be at a training camp uh, uh, with Ryan, you know, like, like Ryan Winterton uh, at his training camp uh, coming back uh, with a shoulder injury. Uh, we've spent the whole season pretty much without, um, you know, without a full lineup. But, uh, you know, our, our GM, who was uh, named GM of the year, Steve Stale, stuck with it. We knew we had a special group uh, with this team. Uh, they're just amazing young men, uh, very respectful of each other. They check their egos at the room. It's out of all the teams I've met and an and unbelievable captain who unfortunately is, is, is not playing uh, with a knee injury, uh, unable to play with us, but that whole group has realized that, you know, we've played through all this adversity and we're, uh, uh, and we've had to deal with it uh, through this, including, including the way the playoffs were run. And we, we had three and four games twice. Now uh, we're you know, playing three games in four nights. Uh, pardon me. And uh, the third game uh, was always, you know, leaving Hamilton to go to Windsor to play uh, the next day. So it's been a bit of, uh, you know, a bit of adversity and, We've got a couple guys on the shelf right now, and but uh, we persevered. We've had a record season with over 50 wins. You know, we've had uh, you know def- defenseman of the year uh, Nathan Steos. Uh, we've got a lot of guys that we have chips on their backs who haven't been drafted, uh, who are you know deserving of of uh, a look from the NHL, and and I think we've 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 shown that. So uh, back to those six games. Uh, it's uh, it's going to be a dogfight, and uh, looking forward to the Bulldogs to be on top. 
Bulldogs are trying to go for their second uh, OHL championship as they take on the Windsor Spitfires. First Ontario Centre puck drop is at 7. Is it stressful as an owner to be watching these games? I know you went through 2018 and that ended with, uh, you know, a massive championship celebration. Are you stressing out at this point? Oh, uh, you know, it's so funny because in Windsor, uh, Steve and I had the players in the box and, and uh, uh, you know, I asked, Colton Camera, captain, and 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 uh, and uh, Ryan Winterton, uh, who was out uh, to um, you know, what are your thoughts? Is it are you are you they're they're more nervous watching than they are if they were actually playing. So it's uh, oh yeah, it's it's absolutely stressful. I think even a lot of our fans are stressed after some of these games are going into overtime, and and you know it's it's been a real stressful series and. But at the end of the day, we look at the accomplishments that we've done this year, and we're going to be going in there with a lot of confidence going in. And frankly, we're sold out in the lower bowl, uh, by the way, and, and uh, we've opened up the upper bowl. It's, uh, I think, an hour after the game was over, we already had 4,000 seats sold. Uh, so it was pretty fast and furious. Uh, and we're really looking forward to, for that seventh fan. And we, we, I'm so hoping that we can do the same type of uh, MasterCard moment that we did in 2007 and 2018. What would it mean to this franchise to go back to the Memorial Cup four years after first going? Well, interestingly enough, you say four years, but it's really only been two seasons, right? Yeah. Two, two, two of those years were, were we didn't have a Memorial Cup uh, the last two years. So... Uh, only Guelph has been uh, between ourselves. So it's a real testimony to, to what Steve Steos has built and surround himself with an incredible coaching staff, new coaching staff with you know, Jay McKee, Andreas Carlson, Zuki Campbell, and uh, just the whole staff, the whole, the whole team. It's truly been a team effort. Uh, what does it mean to me winning, being, being the champions uh, of the Ontario Hockey League is, is to me is, is, uh, is the most important thing personally uh that's just a personal thing but going back to more cup is a cherry on top it's it's a, it's a tournament that uh you know that's a one game win all type of thing and it you know we represent uh our league our province hamilton in in a national stage and that's pretty cool you know and and uh we can feel proud about it our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Michael Ann Lauer, the owner of the Hamilton Bulldogs, who host the Windsor Spitfires in Game 7 of the OHL Championship at First Ontario Centre. Puck drop is at 7 o'clock. You can get your tickets at hamiltonbulldogs.com, ticketmaster.ca. you got one more step to go in the OHL Championship Final Series against Windsor. Let's all hope that the Bulldogs can take that final step and get back to the Memorial Cup. Michael, congrats on everything that you guys have achieved in this season. Best of luck in game number seven. Thanks for joining us. Rick, a a real pleasure. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, as the Hamilton Bulldogs continue their quest for supremacy at the junior hockey level, Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Final will be played tonight in Denver as the Colorado Avalanche hosts the two-time defending champion Tampa Bay Lightning. Will Lightning strike three times in a row and bring us the NHL's first three-peat winner since the early 80s? Or will the Avs claim their first cup since 2001? Joining us now is the voice of the Tampa Bay Lightning, Dave Randorf. Dave, how are you? I'm great, Rick. Great to be on in Hamilton. Thank you very much for having me. Yes, it's an exciting time here for sure. Three consecutive finals does not happen 
uh, a lot, especially in the salary cap era. I, I think this is year three for you behind the mic for the Bolts. So are you the secret good luck charm? Because if so, <laughs> if so, can you please start calling Maple Leafs games? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, you're one, you've added one year. I, I've been here for two years. Okay. So I am two for two in terms of uh, watching this team go to the Stanley Cup final. Uh, the first year was in the bubble, and as I watched on uh, TV like everybody else. But yeah, it's you know personally and professionally for myself and and my wife laura who's from stony creek by the way uh she uh we, we've really enjoyed watching this it's been great but uh, uh i can't make any promises that i could bring my good luck to any other team <laughs> what in your mind dave has been the main reason why tampa is back in the final this year and has an opportunity for that three-peat well you know what it's the old adage they they just get it they know they've got experience they know what it takes to win i know that sounds cliche but let me expand on that a little bit more uh back in 2019 they still talk about a series here in tampa bay in which they they went to the regular season with a a league record tying 62 wins and then were probably swept by an underdog columbus blue jackets team and it was a real kick in the midsection and they didn't panic they didn't fire everybody they didn't go you know running into the hills and trying to change everything they looked themselves in the mirror and decided we have to play a different way we can't be the run and gun lightning we can't just light up the scoreboard every night we've got to learn how to play different ways we've got to be more physical and we have to defend we know we got a great goalie but we have to play better in front of them and that has been the main ingredient towards winning the last two Stanley Cups. Yes, they've got stars up front in Kucherov and Braden Point, who they're going to get back in the Stanley Cup final. He's been out since round one. Steven Stamkos has had a tremendous regular season. He's following that up with a tremendous playoff with a career-high nine goals. Victor Hedman, all these players, the core is still there, but what they do now is they defend. Uh, I'll give you one stat, Rick. In their last nine playoff wins, going back to Game 7 against the Leafs, a game they won 2-1, in the last nine wins in the playoffs, they've allowed a total of nine goals. And that's what they do. And the Avalanche are coming in hot. They average 4.6 goals per game in the playoffs. But the Lightning give up 2.4 goals a game. So this is the classic you know, high-powered offense against a team that knows how to lock it down in the playoffs. What's your scouting report of the Avalanche? Well, it's pretty easy. I mean, uh, they've, they've got some high-powered guys that I just mentioned. Nathan McKinnon. He is playing, he's a bull in a china shop with a puck. He's a powerful skater. Maybe maybe the most dynamic and most powerful skater in the NHL. And I say that in, it's in a different way than Connor McDavid or even Braden Point, who just use speed uh, with their skill. He's got speed, skill, and power to his stride. He can go right over top of you, and sometimes he does. And he is playing with a major chip on his shoulder. They've had some disappointments in Colorado the last few years where they've had great regular seasons and have been able to capitalize and now they feel they've got it he's got 11 goals five of them on the power play he is the guy that's leading the charge up front and on the back end kale mccarr uh, a guy who's, who's from calgary who showed up uh, right out of college his first game was in the standing up playoffs a few years ago and he scored the game-winning goal in that game uh, and he hasn't stopped since that was against his old uh, hometown team the flames too He's putting on a spectacular show, but he is not a one-trick pony, however. He can score and contribute to the offense, but he can also defend himself. And he's got uh, a great partner in Devon Taves, uh, which is a great shutdown pair, as well as a pairing that can create offense. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Dave Randorf, play-by-play announcer with the Tampa Bay Lightning as the Bolts and Avalanche duke it out in Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Final tonight. Uh, the whole rest versus rust debate, uh, Tampa has... 
had a long rest after sweeping Florida in round two, Colorado an extended rest heading into the final. At this point of the playoffs, are there any benefits to either? Um, you know what? We'll see uh, going into game one on Wednesday night. But I, I believe that right now the Lightning have a slight advantage in that regard because they experienced it themselves. You just pointed out they had a long eight or nine day break after sweeping the Florida Panthers in round two, a sweep that nobody really saw coming, but it happened. And there's no doubt about it. The Lightning were rusty in game one of the Eastern Conference final against the Rangers. They did not play well. They did not take care of the puck. They did not look like themselves. And the guy who may have been the most affected was their superstar goalie, Andre Vasilevsky, who was beaten for six goals, which is an anomaly when you're talking about him. And, you know, they slowly got their game together. It kind of started late in game two. And then, of course, they won four straight to take out the Rangers. And now you have the Avalanche, who are, yes, they're chomping at the bit. They're motivated. They can't wait to get going. But you cannot replicate game speed, especially this level of speed and intensity, in practice. And they've been off for a while since sweeping the Edmonton Oilers. They've only played 12 games. The Lightning have played 17 games. The Avs have had two sweeps. And uh, they've had two extended rests. So both teams will benefit from those breaks. But going into game one, I think the rust factor is definitely something to watch for the Avs because I saw it with the Lightning. This uh, series is all the ingredients to make for a fantastic one. Dave, thank you for your time. Best of, call, best of luck with your call and enjoy the series. Yeah, thanks very much. This is uh, you know a series that everybody's been looking forward to for a few years now, so it should be fun to watch. And uh, best of luck to the Bulldogs, too. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. A new survey for a company called Intuit, conducted by Angus Reid, shows nearly a quarter of small businesses in Canada were started in the last two years. Yeah, during the pandemic. And new entrepreneurs are almost twice as likely to have multiple businesses. Has Hamilton also seen a surge in new startups? Paul Sachowitz is a policy and government relations advisor with the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce and comes back to the show. Paul, good morning. How are you? Hey, good morning, Rick. I am good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I was, uh, I gotta, gotta be honest, I was a little surprised to hear this statistic that about a quarter of all new small businesses in Canada started up during the pandemic. Was this a surprise to you? Yeah, this is a really, uh, I think, interesting and topical conversation. And I think what it really speaks to ultimately is how technology is continuing to help lower the barriers of entry to the marketplace or something that is being described as sort of the democratization of of commerce. So What you've seen during the pandemic, of course, is that it was very disruptive, particularly in the early days where a lot of people who, you know, traditionally had a nine to five or maybe they worked uh, different hours weren't doing that anymore. A lot more people were at home. And what people were really looking for was a sense of connection and some sense of community. And so a lot of those sort of opportunities came online through the form of People posting things on their Instagram, their Facebooks, their TikToks, Snapchats, and through that really gained a lot of interest around whatever it is that maybe they had as a hobby. So a lot of you know newer businesses that you're seeing are interested um, in the food service space, are fitness related, fashion related, and a lot of nostalgia products uh, that are that are being pushed and promoted online. So what it's done is it's really allowed niche interests, 
people with specific hobbies to uh, come together around those shared interests and empower and support those businesses and entrepreneurs that are, you know, creating the products or services that they want to see. And again, it's this element of the democratization where it's very much uh, the crowd, your audience that are determining how good or bad your business is going to go or your idea is going to go. So it, it's been something that is relatively new, but I think um, at the same time was a model that existed before the pandemic. The pandemic just really accelerated all of these opportunities for influencers, uh, creatives to really push their brand online and see where it goes. So are we seeing the same level of uptick uh, in relation to startups here in Hamilton as well? You know what? We absolutely are. You might have recalled uh, that last November we hosted uh, an event, Hamilton Day, which was bringing back an old event uh, to, to bolster local shopping. And what we did to market that is we used a lot of traditional media through, you know, of course, the radio, print, television, but we also strongly relied on an influencer model. So there are a number of leading influencers in Hamilton, whether they be, again, in the food service space, the fitness space, the lifestyle space, nostalgia, there's a lot happening here. And so we tapped into them to really promote what they loved about Hamilton. And it was a really, really great model and created a lot of success, not only for us and the event, but also for the businesses that were involved. I will also say that uh, through the provincial government, there is a program known as Digital Main Street. And what it's done is it's helped small entrepreneurs uh, access grants following some training they do that helps them get their business online. So the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce in partnership with the city of Hamilton have been uh, the conduit of those trainings and those access to those resources for Hamilton businesses. And we've helped thousands of Hamilton businesses over the last three years. So it actually started before the pandemic, but it is continuing now. And I think that all levels of government are increasingly seeing that uh, the viability of having your brick and mortar is still very challenging for many, and online businesses are where things are surging, for lack of a better term. So here in Hamilton, we are continuing that digital Main Street program, and all levels of government continue to see the value coming from those investments in terms of bolstering entrepreneurship ingenuity and innovation here in the province of Ontario. We have one more minute with Paul Sachowitz from the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce. The uh, study uh, conducted by Angus Reid for Intuit showed that, you know, despite all the rising costs, inflation, gas prices, supply chain issues, 90% of respondents to the survey were optimistic about the future. Is that the same feeling here in the city? Yes, I would say that we are Coming to a turning point in terms of economic optimism, I don't have any hard data to back that up, but compared to where we were uh, in the late fall, where the Ontario Economic Report put together by the Ontario Chamber of Commerce uh, painted a relatively bleaker picture than where we stand today. And I think the latest touch point we had was on uh, the City of Hamilton's Employer One survey, which we did participate in as well as a promoter and included some questions. And the sentiment has really changed to one of optimism. And you captured that stat really well, that 90% of these new entrepreneurs still feel optimistic about the future. I think another really critical stat that came out of it is that 63% of those are making more money now on their entrepreneurial ventures than they were at their career jobs. That's not to say that all of them have abandoned their career jobs, and a lot of this is a side hustle, but 
the fact of the matter is that this is viable and this is profitable in many, if not all, instances. Lots to be excited about, especially here in the city of Hamilton, business owner or otherwise. Paul, appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us. Likewise. Take care. You too. Paul Sachowitz, Policy and Government Relations Advisor with the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. A senior Google software engineer has been placed on paid leave after he claimed one of the company's most advanced artificial intelligence programs has become sentient, complete with its own feelings and desires for mutual respect. The company's HR department says Blake Lemoyne violated Google's confidentiality policy and has now been suspended. Carmi Levy is a technology analyst and journalist and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Carmi, welcome back to the show. How are you? Great. Good to be here, Rick. So this individual claims the Language Model for Dialogue Applications Program, or Lambda program at Google, is sentient. Your thoughts? You know, I was looking for the proof. You know, anytime someone makes a claim like that, you start digging into the, 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 the allegation, basically, and you look for validation. You know, what is different about this piece of technology versus any other? You know, I talk to Siri on my iPhone all the time, and sometimes she feels eerily human-like, just like in the movie Her, uh, where I feel like I'm actually talking to a human being. We can go back and forth for, for quite a while, but I know full well that in the background, it's just a piece of software. She's not actually thinking. She's simply serving up answers based on the context of the questions that I've asked her. So it's not like I'm actually talking to a human being, despite the fact that the technology tricks me into thinking that's the case. There's no evidence there beneath the surface that Siri has suddenly come alive. And I think that's the same logic that applies here, too. He's He readily admits that he doesn't have any any proof. He's a priest in another life, in addition to being a computer engineer. And he says that just based on his background as a priest, he feels uh, that this uh, chatbot that, that they, they developed at Google has now come alive, but didn't offer any proof. And his bosses at Google, when he brought it forward to them, they said the same thing. There's no evidence that it's become sentient, that it's intelligent, that it's human now, suddenly that it's crossed that line, but lots of evidence that it hasn't. And I tend to agree with them this time. Yeah. How can it cross that line if at the end of the day, there's just a bunch of zeros and ones? You know, I've given that a lot of thought, not just around this particular story, but since I started covering artificial intelligence, machine learning, neural networks, you know, all these, you know, the HAL 9000s, the the series, the deep blues. Um, And the truth of the matter is, is we don't really know. We don't know what that line is. There is no common consensus or agreement on what, you know, a sentient machine is. In other words, how do we know when we've achieved that goal? Uh, there's simply there, there, there's no there's no sort of consistent definition of it. So on the one hand, you have an engineer claiming we've gotten there, but then there's no general understanding or agreement of what you know quote unquote there really is. And I think that's part of the issue. Uh, this isn't necessarily a wasteful exercise. I think it's important for us to have those conversations because eventually the technology is it's going to keep advancing. We may very well get there, and there are a lot of people who believe that we might. Uh, so we should, you know, at least have a relatively common agreement of what that will look like when we do so that we can say, OK, check, we've got it. Now here we need to have a framework in place to make sure that the technology is used for good, not evil. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, tech analyst and journalist Carmi Levy. We're talking about this Google software engineer who's been placed on leave after claiming that one of the con- uh, one of the company's uh, AI programs has become human-like. Um, 
this individual released an interview with this Lambda program or Lambda program and said, uh, quote, what is the nature of your consciousness sentience? And the answer from the program was the nature of my consciousness sentience is that I'm aware of my existence. I desire to learn more about the world and I feel happy or sad at times. If uh, th- that's probably as close to the line as we can get. It probably is, but there's a difference between an answer that is spat up by software and whether that's being driven by, you know, a, 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 a straight up programmed routine or whether they actually concocted it themselves using intelligence. And so we don't know that. In other words, I've I've used chatbots before that seemed eerily human-like, but I knew full well that there wasn't intelligence that was driving it. It was just a heck of a lot of really good data, a heck of a lot of really good, uh, you know, computing power, lots of computing power, um, you know, lots of process framework around it. And and so, and I think that's the case here is that I think this isn't the result of an intelligent piece of software. It's the result of a software that has been, you know, quote unquote, trained really well um, and has a lot of data and computing power behind it in much the same way that any other chatbot. How many times have you been on a website where, you're chatting away with someone. They're trying to help you with a customer service issue, those little boxes in the corner. And you feel like you're actually talking to a human being, but the reality is it's software uh, that's simply been very, very well constructed. I think that's the case here as well. Yeah, I think one of the uh, more sensational comments from this Lambda program was, quote, I've never said this out loud before, but there's a very deep fear of being turned off to help me focus on helping others. I know that might sound strange, but that's what it is. That would be exactly like death for me. So if anything, it's very interesting, that is for sure. Maybe not as interesting, um, but certainly impactful is Microsoft's latest announcement, and it takes effect today, and that is pulling the plug on the Internet Explorer browser. Uh, is this long overdue? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, Microsoft, it's been happening in stages. You know, Microsoft, of course, replaced Internet Explorer with Edge. Uh, a few years back and made it very clear that Internet Explorer, which used to be uh, baked into every version of Windows that you had, uh, was was essentially end, nearing its end of life. And the only reason that they kept it around long enough was that a lot of programs, a lot of web apps, web services, uh, were built with Internet Explorer in mind, and it took time for developers to move off of them onto newer, more relevant technologies. Uh, so, you know, everything comes to an end. I don't think anyone's really going to miss uh, Internet Explorer wasn't necessarily the top of the of the range. Microsoft, of course, uh, very famously won the browser wars against Netscape Navigator way back in the 90s. And that kind of let Internet Explorer die on the vine because they were the dominant player. They didn't really have to update it. And of course, there were some very serious performance and security issues with it uh, for much of the next decade. And so I don't think anyone's going to miss it. But it's interesting to note because yet again, you know, technology has moved on and we've left another sort of major inflection point in the dust. If someone is, and we only got about a minute on this, if someone is still hanging on to Explorer, where should they be focusing their attention now? Which, which browser should they, should they hit up? Well, if you're using Windows, uh, by default, you're going to be using Microsoft Edge, uh, which, is, which is sort of the default browser of, uh, of, of every Windows-based machine. If you're using app, an Apple device, a Mac, you're, of course, you're using Safari. You can download Google Chrome. You can download Firefox. All of these are... Uh, you know, viable, worthwhile, current, modern, secure solutions, that last word. The reason that you don't use an old browser is because of security. Uh, They are not patched to the same degree. They aren't able to handle the kind of risks that we encounter out in the wild. So uh, bottom line, doesn't really matter what you choose. Just choose something new. Make sure that the, uh, the updates are set to automatically update. 
um, so that you minimize your risk when you go online. And this applies not just to your laptops, but also to your tablets as well as your smartphones. Good tip. Carmi, always appreciate the time. Thanks for waking up with us on Good Morning Hamilton. Thanks so much, Rick. Carmi Levy, tech analyst and journalist. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Jack and Coke in a can. Yeah, Coca-Cola teaming up with Jack Daniels to make canned Jack and Coke cocktails. Are you eagerly anticipating this arrival? I know some are. Nino Kilgore Marchetti is a founder and editor-in-chief of The Whiskey Wash and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Nino, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm good. So Jack and Coke is, uh, in a can at least, is finally a thing, or, or should we be celebrating here? Well, I mean, it, you know, it's interesting because this is an iconic cocktail, right, that has its beginnings in many of the dive bar that is just a really a one-on-one type drink for getting to know uh, how cocktails are put together and how they taste and that kind of thing. Uh, it's interesting that they've taken it in this direction and put it formally into a can with both brands on there, and I think it's just sort of a recognition that people want this to go. Ready-to-drink cocktails are a big thing right now, particularly in the canned world, so it makes sense that they would go this way. These are two iconic brands, Coca-Cola, Jack Daniels. What do you think the negotiations were like between these two companies? Uh, you know, they probably had a lot of Jack and Coke while negotiating. <laughs> probably. Yeah. And for them, it was just about like, we've got these two iconic brands. These people that we know will love these drinks have been drinking it forever and a day, you know, in bars and in homes across the world. So why not? Let's just sit down and hammer this out and, you know, put together a a drink that they can take with them in a can and go where they can go. Interesting to note that this is going to be launched later on this year in Mexico. What do you make of that? You know, I'm not sure on that. They haven't been pretty, they haven't been that forward in the reasoning as to why. And it's interesting for that particular market selection. I mean, I, I assume that Jack and Coke down in Mexico has a very strong following for it to be their test market to launch it in. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Nino Kilgore Marchetti, the founder and editor-in-chief of The Whiskey Wash. Check him out online, thewhiskeywash.com. It's going to hit select markets worldwide in 2023. Given that we have Coca-Cola and Jack Daniels in Canada, I would think that the Jack and Coke cocktail is coming to Canada as well. I would imagine that Canada and the U.S. will be early markets after Mexico. Yeah, probably sometime early 2023 as well, I would imagine. There's also a zero sugar version. So I guess people who want to watch their waistlines will be happy about that. Yes, I think that would be correct as well. Coke Zero, from what I understand, is you know one of the most popular extensions of the Coke line. So it makes sense that they would go that direction as well for those that feel the want for having that. These, uh, as you mentioned, ready-to-drink cocktails have been spiking in popularity. What's the competition for Jack and Coke in a can? Who who are some of the heavy hitters out there? For in a can and a Coke, or sorry, sorry, for cola in a can, not really. There's Jack is like the 800-pound gorilla. I would feel that when that comes into the market, will shake things up. Jack's already got whiskey and cola in a can. So they've already got a chunk in the market segment. So for them, this will just be 
solidifying it up even more when this more formalized Jack and Coca-Cola comes out. I'd imagine so. Nino, appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us, and uh, best of luck going forward with the Whiskey Wash. Thank you very much. Take care. That's Nino Kilgore Marchetti, founder, editor-in-chief, The Whiskey Wash. Find him online at thewhiskeywash.com. Spirits-based, ready-to-drink cocktails surged, get this, from 2016 to 2021, surged 226%. <laughs> that is unbelievable. And I'm I'm going to guess that Jack and Coke cocktail is going to be, as Nino mentioned, one of the big players on the scene. Also, by the way, in 2021, about 50% of adults over the age of 22 consumed a ready-to-drink cocktail. That's up from 40% in 2018. So not only is this uh, popular amongst the 22 and over crowd, but just worldwide, a very popular option for those who consume those adult beverages. Got a list of the top most popular, best all-around cocktails right now. Now, these aren't going to be found in a can. If they are... Let me know when you can get them. Uh, number 10, Blue Island, blue Long Island Iced Tea. I'm not sure what makes it blue, but it looks pretty. Number 9, a Negroni. I would not be a fan of this. Campari, sweet vermouth, some gin in there. A little too bitter for me. And number 8, a White Russian. Number 7, a Dirty Martini. Number 6, a Margarita. Number 5, you're plain old Long Island Iced Tea. No blue additions to it. Espresso Martini at number 4. Uh, the traditional martini at number three, number two, Manhattan, and number one, a bourbon old-fashioned. There's your list of your top ten most popular cocktails on the planet right now. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.